Welcome to Pullback, the podcast where we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption. Then we tell you what we learn, fuck-ups and all. I'm Kristen Pugh, and I'm here with Kyla Hewson. Hello. This episode, we are going to talk about winter gear. So all of the things that you need to keep yourself warm, <laughs> except scarves and hats, because we will talk about wool next time. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to get into to wool, I know, but then I guess it just became too too big of a thing, huh? Yeah, it became too much. So I think for this episode, we're going to focus on winter coats and winter boots, which really are like the the staples. You yeah, absolutely need both of those things to go outside in the winter. I think like the general background for people should be sort of like, if you're trying to look for winter coats and boots, we're going to talk about some of the, the ethical issues that are specific to that kind of garment. But you should also try to apply the advice that we used in our fast fashion series. So all of the like clothing advice that we gave for that episode, that all applies to this as well. But we're going to spend this episode talking about specifically like what's in winter coats that you might want to think about, what's in winter boots that you might want to think about. Yeah, that sounds great. And I know this applies like to a lot of places in the world because I got my current winter coat almost five years ago in Australia, of all places. It's great. It's like rated to minus 40 and I've kept I've had it for like five years. It's fantastic. Yeah, did it get cold in Australia? Um, oh my god, yes it did. And their houses, <laughs> okay. okay, actually, this is a, this is the thing for me. Their houses are glorified tents, wind whistles through the gaps under the doors, the windows <laughs> don't seal. There's no insulation in the walls. Their their houses just made of concrete. I'm like, what is happening here? So, <laughs> I was very cold a lot of the time in Australia. They are very much in denial about their winter, but it exists. <laughs> You can at me about this, Australia. You know it's true. Okay, so this episode's for Australians too, I guess. <laughs> I love the passion with which you described that. <laughs> I would associate Australia a little bit with winter gear because they're so famous for being, like, addicted to skiing. True, yeah. They're like, this isn't a real stat, but like half the population of the Rockies, I swear. Like, <laughs> go to Canmore and it's just Aussies. <laughs> Yeah, Whistler is is also known as Wistralia because everyone who lives and works there is from Australia. Maybe not this year, but usually. My sister likes this um like bougie Australian coffee app and it does not exist in most places in Canada, but in Canmore and I assume also Whistler like the app functions. <laughs> so there. Anyway, uh, this episode is not about Australians, it is about winter. Uh <laughs> All right, so let's start by talking about winter coats. You say you've had your winter coat for five years. Um, yeah, winter coats can last for like 30 years. So I think that's what sort of distinguishes winter coats from a lot of other kinds of garments that we might think about. Like if I'm going to buy a t-shirt or underwear or something like that, socks, they are not going to last me for as long of my life as a winter coat. A winter coat is really like, it's a commitment, you know? Well, and if your socks and underwear are lasting you as long as a winter coat, you know, either you're not using your coat long enough or you're going to be getting some side eyes on your socks and underwear. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So um, winter coats, they're an investment. So I think quite rightly, they're something that people should put a little bit more thought into. I tried to look into the options for winter coats and I found like there are two general varieties of winter coats. 
And the first one is wool overcoats. And the second one is what I'm going to call ski jackets, but what might otherwise be described as parkas. And so those are coats that are made from uh, a waterproof synthetic fabric, and they're sort of stuffed with insulation. I'm going to call them ski jackets because I don't really think it's accurate to call them parkas. Um, it's not like traditionally what those are. But yeah, they're basically those, those two options, right? You're either wearing a, a big wool overcoat or you're wearing um, something that's waterproof and that is like stuffed with something to keep you warm. I have both. And I would say that like ski jackets are maybe a little bit more useful for winter winter, you know, because a wool jacket really isn't going to do you in minus 25 weather, personally. Or in the rain, if it's a if it's a very rainy city. So if you're in London or Vancouver or any sort of coastal northern city. Yeah. But like maybe, um, you know, maybe if you live in somewhere that's like less cold or less rainy, uh, you might only need a wool coat. But I think for most people you'd need, if you're going to try to use a wool coat, you also need something like a ski jacket as well. If you live in a place that gets fairly cold or rainy or snowy. We're going to talk about wool next episode, so I'm skipping the wool overcoats on this one, and we'll focus just on ski jackets. So do you have any sense of what is in a ski jacket? Uh, I know that my ski jacket, and please don't judge me too harshly, it is five years old, but it's full of down, which is not something I think I would buy again now, but because I already own it, I can't just throw it away because of that, it's stupid. So, And then I think it's got layers of synthetics uh usually i don't know actually microfiber stuffing i don't know, <laughs> I don't know what's in other coats <laughs> yeah so um like you before i started researching for this episode i really didn't know much about what was in a ski jacket i do know that mine as well is um it's stuffed with down I mean, we'll talk about down. I don't think it's a choice that I would make in the future either, but I did buy my jacket last year, so <laughs> I have a while before that happens. I was young and naive. <laughs> yeah, I found it really difficult. Um, I mean, we'll talk about some of the trade-offs with down, but I wanted a coat that was graded to really cold weather because it gets quite chilly in Ottawa in the winter. And uh, so I opted for one with responsible down. Having looked into it a little bit more now, I might make a different choice, but I'll talk about it more. Well, you can. You don't have to choose again for 30 years, so you're, you're good. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, so ski jackets, uh, they are made primarily using synthetic petroleum-based fabrics. So that's oh. like even if you have down on the inside, um, you're usually it's some kind of like plastics-based fabric that is on the that is in like most of the other stuff in the coat. So when you have like a typical ski jacket, it's got two main components. The first one is the inner insulated jacket, and then there's the outer windbreaker, which is typically waterproof um, and is like its main function is to cut the wind and to keep you from getting wet. So the inner insulated jacket is made with a nylon lining, and then it's stuffed either with down or with a synthetic insulation, which is also plastic-based. Uh, then the outer layer is usually made from a, water a waterproof um, plastics-based synthetic fabric. So it's like plastic encasing plastic encasing plastic, or plastic encasing plastic encasing feathers. That's what a coat is. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about some sort of like general tips for choosing an ethical winter coat first. 
And then after that, we'll talk about the main issue, I would say, which is um, trying to decide between animal down and synthetic insulation. That's sort of the main debate when you're looking for ethical issues in coat production. In terms of generally choosing an ethical winter coat, as far as I know, it is impossible to find a ski jacket that's plastic free. Right now, there's no good alternative to synthetic fabrics or like for waterproofing and windbreaking, you know? So unfortunately, there's no option to get away from plastics when you're trying to buy a ski jacket. You can buy, if you're looking for a wool overcoat, that is an option. Those can be made plastic-free, but they don't serve exactly the same purpose, so I don't think it's really fair to compare them. So I think it's probably the best you can do is just to follow the principles for ethical clothing more broadly. So consume less. Don't replace your winter coat if you don't need to. Uh, Look for secondhand. uh, Because these are sort of like higher price items, I would imagine if you're looking on like online consignment, things like that, you could find some relatively good options. Avoid fast fashion where you can and research companies beforehand. Two good tools for doing that. One is the ethical consumer ranking. They rate Patagonia is fairly high on the list. Um, They have a few other um, sort of outdoor companies that do pretty well in their ranking. And then the Good On You uh, ranking system has a a bunch of sustainable brands that they recommend. Go to our research notes and we have links to both of those. So then once you've found a coat, the next recommendation is basically try to make your winter jacket last as long as it possibly can. As I mentioned before, a good target is to try to get your coat to last 20 to 30 years. Um, And you can do that by just taking care of your coat really well. So in terms of cleaning, uh, it's sort of recommended that you clean your coat at the beginning and at the end of the season. Good On You recommends using a professional wet cleaning service rather than dry cleaning. We'll have to do an episode on that in the future, but dry cleaning, like it isn't super great for the environment because of some of the chemicals that are involved. Um, So... Wet cleaning, they say, is preferred over dry cleaning. But either way, um, cleaning once at the beginning and once at the end of the season can sort of protect your coat. They also recommend putting it in a garment bag at the end of the season. I'm I'm not sure. Um, I I think it's just that's mainly just to, like, um, repel moths and things like that. But it's another option. Otherwise, just sort of, like, let your coat dry out. Try to... Keep it in like a relatively well-ventilated place so that that's a little bit easier. And uh, let your coat sort of hang on good wood hangers so it doesn't get stretched out. So yeah, take care of your coat. (laughs) All right, should we talk about uh, Animal Down? (laughs) Uh, Yes. (laughs) Is it as bad as I think it is? Uh, Yeah, it was pretty gross, but I'm going to not put a lot of the details in this because no. Okay, cool. (laughs) Cool. Take take Kristen's word for it. It nasty. Yeah, you can find stuff on the internet. It's pretty revolting. I felt pretty nauseous while researching this, but uh, I won't subject you guys to the details. So the basic problem is winter jackets need to be warm, which means that they need a good insulator. And although there are synthetics available, a lot of winter jackets are stuffed with animal down. Down, for those of you that don't know... Um, I guess I didn't really know this in detail. So down refers to the plumage that's found underneath the exterior feathers of geese and duck. 
Um, so it's not the outer feathers. It's sort of like the fluffier stuff underneath, although sometimes the outer feathers used as well. And down is used to insulate a whole bunch of things. Uh, so jackets, but also things like comforters, pillows, and sleeping bags. And as you might imagine, down production is not especially nice for the birds. What? <laughs> not great for them. No. <laughs> no. You're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know it's shocking that any form of animal agriculture is bad for the animal, but <laughs> it's not great. So yeah, one of the questions that um, you should think through when you're choosing a winter jacket is whether you want to go with a coat that's insulated with down or whether you want to go with one that's insulated with a some sort of synthetic insulation. And that, I guess, boils down to whether you think there is any form of responsible down that exists. So I tried to look into that question. Um, and also, I, I think it is important to note that coats are not primarily where down is being used. It's actually a pretty small proportion of the down industry. Um, so most down is being used for like bedding. So pillows, comforters, that sort of thing. Uh, it's about 90% of the industry. However, um, jacket producers have actually been leaders in responsible down because they're sort of like have more brand visibility. You know, you think through buying a fancy ski jacket more than you would think through buying a pillow, usually. So down, whether they're used for jackets or, or pillows or duvets, they are often extracted by plucking live animals. What? Yeah, not always, but uh, live plucking is a fairly common practice. Why? Wouldn't it be easier to pluck something that's already dead? <laughs> yeah, you would think. Um, but essentially, um, from what I was reading, it produces slightly fluffier down if they're plucked while they're alive. And also with geese, you can sometimes pluck them more than once. It's a painful and traumatic experience to be plucked alive. I like, I would kind of, I don't know if this feels exactly the same, but it seems to me to be pretty similar to like if you were flaying a person, you know, like it's not nice. So you probably don't want to be doing it while they're alive. And that's generally where the industry's going um, because it's really, really mean. So beyond the issue of live plucking, so that's a huge issue in Responsible Down. Um, we also have to think about the conditions in which these geese and ducks are living more generally. Um, and that means confronting our good old friend, animal agriculture. <laughs> um, so it's important to know that Down is like, it's a waste product fundamentally. So nobody is going out and farming ducks and geese just for their down. They're being used for meat production, and then the feathers are sold as a byproduct. So it increases the profitability, but it's not the primary thing that um, these animals are being raised for. So you have to think about the conditions in which they're being farmed for meat. And from what I was able to find, geese and ducks are quite often factory farmed, which means that they're living in cramped, uncomfortable conditions, and they're never getting to live that full, like, ducky life or goosey life. And then they're plucked alive before they're killed and eaten. Cool story. <laughs> yeah, and there's another special problem for geese and ducks, which is that because they're, they're often cultivated for foie gras, um, they're oftentimes the victims of force feeding. So, yeah. So in addition to just being in factory farms, you also have to worry about um, like the geese and ducks um, being force fed to an extent that they're unhealthy and like really uh, uncomfortable for them. And then they're 
in a lot of cases, plucked alive as well. So there has been a movement on the issue of live plucking in the last decade. Um, that movement, as far as I was able to tell, was spurred in 2011 when PETA did this investigation that found Patagonia was sourcing down from a facility that was using live plucking. And uh, Patagonia immediately freaked out a lot of other um, producers in like the outdoors uh, market also paid a lot of attention to the issue because their consumers were really upset about it. Yeah, it's a bad look. Yeah. And so that prompted them to sort of take action on animal welfare and down production. And and that means that now there actually are a few humane down standards that um, at least require that the animal was killed before its feathers were plucked. So the three standards um, that I was able to find were, first of all, the traceable down standard, and that was created by Patagonia in reaction to this incident in 2011. Then the North Face has created the responsible down standard, which, as far as I was able to tell, is the one that's sort of been used by the most companies since. And then our good frenemy Mech uh, created the down codex. <laughs> so it's another system. <laughs> Um, Patagonia's traceable down standard is, as far as I was able to tell, the most rigorous of the three. Uh, that's according to an animal rights group called Four Paws. Um, but even so, the traceable down standard only bans live plucking and force feeding. So you can be sure, you can be relatively sure that if you're buying a jacket that uses that standard, the down that you're using is not coming from animals that have been live plucked and it's not coming from animals that are have been used um, to make foie gras through like force feeding but you really don't have any other assurances that they've not been factory farmed or anything like that because it's not included in the responsible down standard at all or in the traceable down standard at all it's also not something that's included in the responsible down standard and the down codex also like they're really focused on just those two issues of um live plucking and force feeding, you really don't have other assurances that there's animal welfare going on. So I would say that like, if animal welfare matters to you, you're not actually getting great assurances from any of the responsible down standards, which was something that I wish that I had known uh, when I had purchased my coat. So if you're getting something that has animal down in it, it's most likely coming from China because China now produces about 80% of the world's down. Um, and that is sort of a barrier to ending practices like, um, like live plucking, because you, sure, you can have these companies that have standards. And so in those contexts, you might get the suppliers to change their minds, but there's a lot less sort of uptake on, um, changing animal welfare norms, uh, relative to Western markets. And so, unless you're using one of these standards, um, in a lot of cases, there is still going to be live plucking. A recent PETA investigation found that um, half of the suppliers that they talked to in China still sold um, down that was live plucked. So in my view, there's really nothing that counts as responsible down because we can't assure that the lives of these um, animals are in any way humane. So if down is inhumane, why do companies still use it? A lot of companies are moving away from the use of down, so it could be that in the future we really won't have many options for coats that actually have down in them at all. It, they, it may sort of become an obsolete method. But there are two trade-offs that are keeping down in the jacket game. Um, the first one is quality, and the second one is sustainability. 
Um, so to start with quality, down is still the most efficient insulator that's available. Down has a higher warmth to weight ratio than even the best synthetics that are available right now. So that like when you when you are buying a coat, you don't want it to be super heavy, but you do want it to be warm. So having an insulator that is light, but also a good insulator is really important. And synthetics right now just aren't quite as good as high quality down in doing that. Although like it, the gap is narrowing and synthetics now are like more or less comparable to medium quality down. And in addition to that, they're also generally cheaper. So if you're buying a cheap winter coat, you may have all these other problems of fast fashion, but probably you're getting synthetic down. So you may, you don't have at least the live plucking issue probably. (laughs) (laughs) So so there's that. Um, So the quality of synthetics is improving. And I think in time they're going to overtake down from a quality perspective, but it's just not there right now. So I think the question that people have to ask themselves when they're choosing a winter coat is whether it's really important to have a coat that's slightly warmer or slightly lighter. And I would say that there may be some contexts in which that's a reasonable trade-off. So if you're a mountaineer that is like going out really cold temperatures for very long periods of time, then yeah, maybe it's a fair trade-off for you to to choose something that's maybe less ethically there in exchange for a coat that does the job. But I think for most people, that slight trade-off in quality is not really enough to be noticeable or like it's enough to live with and be fine, you know? So in addition to the the quality trade-off, there's also a trade-off that's environmental, although I'm less certain that this is actually true. Um, I think it may be a a product of how there hasn't really been rigorous measurement so most synthetic alternatives are petroleum-based, which is a problem. It's, you know, keeps us tied to the fossil fuels industries, makes that more profitable. On the other hand, Animal Down is tied to animal farming, which is also a huge greenhouse gas contributor. Uh, so keeps us tied to that industry. So I don't know, maybe on balance, like it's worse to be tied to the petroleum industry. I'm not sure. But I'll just I'll talk a little bit about what synthetic insulation is. So most synthetic insulation uses, um, it takes polyester and it uses the strands of polyester. And the difference between different synthetic insulators is basically like what size and shape the polyester is. Um, This is like a a space where there's a lot of like companies really own the intellectual property and there's a lot of secrecy around it. But basically the difference is the size and the shape. Primaloft is the most sort of widely used synthetic insulator. So it's the one you're most likely to have heard of or to see. It was developed in the 1980s for the US Army, and now it's used in about 500 brands worldwide. So it's possible you'll have seen it. Uh, Some others include Thinsulate, Full Range, and Polar Tech. So if you've seen any of those, those are synthetic insulators. Another problem with synthetics is that they tend not to last as long, which can be a little bit of a dilemma if you're purchasing a a product that you want to last 30 years, you know, durability might matter. I have a question. Do ducks and geese live 30 years? (laughs) I don't know, Kyle. I don't think so. (laughs) Well, then how come their feathers last like 30 years, but a synthetic doesn't? Uh (laughs) I'm sorry. I realized as that question popped into my head that it's probably unanswerable. I'm going to Google how old ducks get to to be. (laughs) 
they, they'll live less long in factory farming conditions, but <laughs> I guess it's not really relevant to the structure of their feathers. Ducks can live five to ten years, so but their feathers so their feathers outlast them by like three times their lifespan. Biology's weird. From what I've heard, it's mostly like about how um, there's an actual term for this, but it's like how fluffy it stays over time um, and like f- down flattens more slowly than the synthetic fibers. And and so it makes it less effective insulator. Oh, that's cool. As far as I was able to understand it, that is the difference. Um, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. I've, uh, I've also just Googled and a, and a Canada goose can live to be 24 years old. So there you go. Ah, it's further proof that meanness makes you live longer. <laughs> I was I was thinking of something like that. I'm like, oh, I'm sure there's a joke here about how cruel Canada geese are. They're scary, scary animals. Very scary. Have you ever been attacked by a Canada goose? I've been hissed at by one, yeah, and they like lunge their neck at you and you're like, yo, man, this is your space. I'm backing off. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, my friend and I got ran at by one this year. It was kind of legitimate, though. Like, I, I, I got it. Um, <laughs> Ottawa has, like, a ton of Canada geese in the spring, and they, like, overrun the trails. Um, and somebody on a bike had just run over one of the goslings, um, and it was, like, hissing in pain, and its, like, wing was doing a thing. Um, and so we were, like, walking in the general direction of the gosling, and the mama goose was like, no fucking way. Um, <laughs> so... So I understood that. We went around, but... <laughs> oh, but still, okay. Well, sad story. Sorry I interrupted. <laughs> no. In that case, the goose was justified, but usually Canada geese are assholes, so... Anyway, it's the fluff factor. That's why they don't last as long. The polyester fibers are like more likely to squish down, then they're less effective insulators. So that's a bit of a problem if you're trying to get something that lasts a really long time. It has been found that down is a more effective, like, is, is less harmful for the environment. However, the only study I was able to find that said that was from the International Down and Feather Bureau. So a slightly oh, so. biased source. <laughs> it, I, it's hard to say which is true. We'll talk about leather in a bit. Um, but, like, I would imagine down has come out as being more sustainable on this metric because they're not also incorporating it probably has something to do with how they're measuring animal agriculture or it may be the fact that geese production is slightly less harmful for the environment than cow production because leather we'll talk about that with synthetic leathers but leather is actually like much worse for the environment than synthetic leathers even though synthetic leathers are also made out of um, petroleum products so it's, I, I'm not quite sure why the balance comes out the other way on this one, but it may just be that, like, cows are really bad for the planet. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, that that is that probably checks out. Yeah. But yeah, so this one industry association study did find that down is on a per ton basis more sustainable than polyester. Um, I would like to see an independent source verify that, but that's the only study I was able to find. You can kind of offset the difference to a certain degree by finding a synthetic down that uses recycled polyester. Um, so that way, at least you're getting two uses out of the polyester. And Primaloft has an eco-series that does that. So you can look for those alternatives, and that's a good option. But then you still have to deal with the issue that like 
down is going to break down in the environment, um, and polyester fibers are going to produce microplastics. That's bad. But anyway, your ski jacket's covered in plastic, so I don't really know how to weigh this all. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not perfect. Uh, my own personal view would be like try to find a an alternative insulator that is from recycled polyester. And the best thing you can do from an environmental perspective is to just extend the use of your coat for as long as you can. Yeah, or pick up something that isn't brand new. Yeah, secondhand, a good choice as well. Should we talk about snow boots? Yeah, yeah, because that's what <laughs> kind of prompted you to, to look into this episode in the first place is you were looking for boots, right? Yes, that was my, I guess, I guess it counts as a challenge if I prompted the episode from like deciding on which boots to buy. I mean, I also recently had to buy shoes, so we're going to count that as my challenge too. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. So I recently learned that winter boots and snow boots are not actually the same thing. I learned that while researching this episode and being very confused by Google searches. Uh, So (laughs) both winter boots and snow boots are designed to keep your feet warm, but snow boots have the additional feature of being waterproof and they're also typically taller. So like if you think about like a, a boot that's fairly warm, but only goes like to your ankle, that's probably a winter boot. If you're thinking about like a huge motherfucker that goes up to like halfway through your calf, that's like a snow boot. No, oh, that makes sense to me. There's nothing worse than walking down the street and getting snow in the top of your shoe. Yes, absolutely. So I purchased my first pair of snow boots as an adult this year because Ottawa's got a terrifying winter. Toronto did not prepare me for it at all. (laughs) (laughs) You grew up in Edmonton. (laughs) Yeah, but in Edmonton, A, nobody goes outside. And B, it's like a dry (laughs) snow that happens once and it all gets packed down. So you just have to deal with ice. In Ottawa, it's like all the time you have to deal with slush or freezing rain or both. It's, yeah. (laughs) I hate winter. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Said like a true Canadian. (laughs) So there are a lot of ethical guides out there if you want to buy winter boots. Uh, those are all over the place. But if you want to buy snow boots, it was actually a lot harder to find guides for like um, what are the best ethical brands. So I'm going to hopefully try to give some some good advice. Uh, but I, I want to start that by talking about like what fundamentally is a snow boot or a winter boot. I'm basing this off of a snow boot, but like if you want to go for a winter boot, like the components are pretty similar. It's just less intense usually. So the base of a snow boot is made with rubber. And unfortunately, I was not able to find very much on boots that have been made with ethically sourced rubber. That is a thing that matters though. So it's a bit of a problem because um, rubber has actually, like depending on where rubber is produced, it's been tied to deforestation. So You want to try to get sustainably produced rubber, but it also doesn't seem like a thing most brands are focusing on. The one tip I can give you for rubber production is to try to find like something that's made with recycled rubber or to try to pick a company that recycles its own rubber. Uh, That's what I ended up doing with the company that I went with. They have a recycling program for their rubber, uh, which they've designed to be, they claim, 100% recyclable. So if I return the boots, I don't think they recycle the whole shoe. I think it's just the rubber, but at least that then can, it goes into making a new shoe. So try to find a company that does that. Um, the company that I, I bought from was Kamek. That's what they're called. 
Um, okay, so then you have the upper or the top of the snow boot, and that's made from either leather or synthetic materials like nylon, which again are plastics based. So once again, you have this trade off of like, do I use an animal product or do I use plastic? Which greenhouse gas producing industry am I supporting? So we'll talk a little bit more about leather after, but that's a choice you, you'll have to make. And then uh, there's also a really important component of winter and snow boots is insulation. So again, that's something to keep you warm. And in this case, it's usually not down because that doesn't work so well with shoes. So you're usually choosing between a foam, a synthetic fleece, or sheepskin. So once again, you have this like plastic versus animal debate. You have to you have to choose one of the two. I'll talk a little bit maybe about my my shoe purchase and how I thought it through, and then we'll talk about leather. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Anything to push off talking about leather. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I ended up going with a pair of vegan winter boots because I learned from my mistakes. <laughs> and I didn't make the same mistake I did with my coat. And I chose a company called Kamek. My one drawback with them is that I'm fairly certain they're using an indigenous name and they are not indigenous owned as far as I could tell. So that's not great. But they are like a company that's been around for a very long time um, from Quebec. So, you know, I guess I'll maybe give them less shade for picking an indigenous name like 100 years ago. You know, that's doing that today is considerably worse. They also seem to be pretty committed to sustainability, which I liked. Um, so in addition to having that sort of recycling program for their rubber, uh, they're also working toward a zero waste production facility. So they do things like the water that they're using in their production process, they clean and reuse, things like that. So it, I was fairly convinced that sustainability was important for them. And uh, I liked that they have like a specific um, vegan feature. So not all of their boots are vegan, but it's like really easy to find vegan boots. So that's why I went with them. You said you bought shoes. Do you want to talk about that for your challenge? <laughs> in the years since we started doing this podcast, I have found making decisions a little bit easier, which I was I was kind of expecting the opposite to be the case. I was expecting the more I know, the more paralyzed with indecision I would be. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm making better choices this year. So when it came to these shoes, even though we weren't doing an episode, I still went out of my way to kind of pick what I felt like was a good company. I bought Vessies. Uh, I don't know if you know them. They're famously waterproof. They're like the most waterproof shoe you can buy, <laughs> which I think officially <laughs> makes me a Vancouverite. Definitely does. Oh, I've definitely seen these advertised to me on Instagram. Yes. Yeah, they're very much like the millennial <laughs> shoe right now. <laughs> so I went to their website and kind of was looking for if they had anything about their sustainability. And they do. They have it in their FAQ. So I'll just read you what they say about themselves. I don't know how trustworthy that is, but they're a pretty big, like they grew very, very quickly. They started with a Kickstarter, I think. So for the most part, they're popular because they're just really well made and they're extremely waterproof. I love walking through puddles. It's a joy. <laughs> this is what they say about their, their uh, eco-friendliness. Typical manufacturing processes consume large amounts of energy, water, and material trim through processing, dyeing textiles, and cutting. Sometimes animal products are used in raw materials such as glue or accessories, which makes the process even less sustainable to the environment. At Vessi, we wanted to change that. 
We recognize the impact that our industry has on the planet. That's why we've developed mindful manufacturing practices to reflect our values. Vessies are 100% vegan, with each pair made with 30% less water, 600% less energy consumption, and less material trim waste by 97% in comparison to conventional practices. And last but not least, we developed our waterproof layer, Dymatex, which is a membrane made from polyurethane with millions of pores small enough to prevent water molecules from entering and large enough to allow heat and moisture from our feet to escape. This means we achieve a lifelong waterproofing quality without a harmful chemical or coating. We care about the planet and aim to help reduce the carbon footprint left by our industry one shoe at a time. So all of that sounds good. I would love to see, like, where they get their numbers from, but... It seems it's something that they obviously know that their customers care about. But again, it's a petroleum product. So what are you going to do? Yeah, but I just don't think you like you can't. We have no options for waterproofing right now that don't involve plastics. So as far as I'm concerned, um, I mean, I think we should be promoting plastic alternatives where they exist. But like buying a pair of shoes or like a coat that you're going to use for a long time that has some plastic in it is like not not a big deal when you compare it against like people using a plastic bag for 15 minutes or like you know the sheer number of like plastic coated coffee cups that get thrown out every year like that's what we should be focusing on first or even just like fast fashion like all the polyester clothes that people are going to wear twice and then throw away so like yeah, your shoes have plastic in them, my shoes have plastic in them, but we're both going to wear them lots and try to use them for as long as we can. I think that's the best you can do. All right, should we talk about leather? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I tell you a secret? Yes. Although it won't be a secret once it's on the podcast. <laughs> I'm Honestly, I'm probably going to cut this out. I don't think this is going to stay in. I'm so ashamed. I went to a consignment store for the first time ever. I didn't really know what they were. And I walked in and I was like, oh, this is a very fancy secondhand shop. And I, they were having like a sale and I bought a leather handbag. And it's the first time I've ever owned one. And it was really nice. And it's from a brand that I love, Kate Spade. And I was like, oh, should I do it? This is so evil. And I'm like, mm, but it's secondhand. And I'm like, mm, but you're still like supporting the industry. And I'm like, oh, but I need a bag. And I've been looking for one for like a year. And I really like this one. So I bought it. And I have some shame. I don't know. I don't think that you should have shame necessarily. I mean, like, everyone's values are going to shake out slightly differently on leather. But like, you're not vegan, you know. So um, buying secondhand leather kind of addresses the environmental issues because really you're extending the life of something that already exists. So I, I think there's a lot of gray area in secondhand leather. At least environmentally, it's not a bad choice necessarily if it's secondhand. And on animal welfare, like, I actually don't even really think that animal rights activists would have a huge issue with it. Um, definitely, like, a lot of animal rights activists wouldn't want to be promoting leather in general, but I don't think they're really going to focus their ire on people buying secondhand. So personally, I don't have an issue with it. Yeah, it's it's a really tricky one. Um, even my, my boyfriend is a vegan and he he was like, mm, I don't want to touch your bag, but it, damn, it's really nice. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I've never owned a nice purse before. I'm always like, I don't know. I, f I was like, look, I'm turning 30 soon and this is a gift to myself for 30 year old kyla who is a grown-up woman who dresses like a real person and doesn't wear a backpack everywhere 
And not like a nice backpack either. I was wearing like a school backpack I bought at Staples. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, same. I do not own a nice backpack. (laughs) Well, it is nice. It's a hiking backpack I've owned for six years and it works very well, but it's not fashionable at all. Yeah, mine wasn't nice and it also wasn't fashionable. And I don't know, I was I just always keep I keep buying new bags that are like like not necessarily new, but I I keep replacing bags cuz they like they're falling apart cuz they're cheap and shitty usually uh, or they're just so ugly and they just they don't look good the next year and I'm like, "Oh, so I, th- I so I got a black bag that's going to look good forever." Yeah, I mean, I think that's actually a really good lead into le- leather, so I hope you keep this in. Uh, <laughs> but uh yeah leather is um one of the huge advantages of leather is that it's durable so it's an item that you can keep for quite a long time you can keep particularly in relation to synthetic leather synthetic leather breaks down a lot more quickly all of these kinds of guides that we put in you have to put into context with like what you're using it for having said that on leather the scales are so like tipped in favor of synthetic leather that like probably you should never buy anything with new leather i own blundstones so i'm like a a guilty of this too but you know uh, leathers as we'll see it's real real bad i think all we can do is try to be better you know (laughs) it's okay to it's okay to be guilty sometimes i'm guilty right now but i love this bag so you know what hashtag no regrets (laughs) yeah my uh i have a friend who has an 80 percent good rule Um, This isn't for ethics. This is just the way she lives her life in general, um, where she tries to be good 80% of the time, and then she gives herself 20%. (laughs) 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 I kind of think that's a way you can approach ethical consumption, because we're not going to be perfect. Um, Anyway, leather is still bad, so let's talk about how leather is (laughs) bad. So I wanted to, to... apply that same kind of question I applied to down. Is there such a thing as responsible leather? um, Or is leather in all cases bad? Start by talking about just giving some background on leather. Footwear is actually a huge industry for leather. Um, About half of the leather that's produced is then put into shoes of some kind. And leather is kind of similar to down um, in that it is a byproduct of meat production. So um, the leather that we buy comes from a bunch of different kinds of animals, but the most common is cows. You might also have leather that's made from goats, pigs, and sheep. Those are other common sources. Um, and then, of course, you have like the Paul Manafort style, like uh, really exotic animal leather. But like usually that's not what winter boots are produced with, so I'm not going to talk about that today. <laughs> what kind of exotic animal? Is he wearing like rhino or something? God, I can't remember. He had some kind of ridiculous vest. Um, Ostrich. Ostrich fest. <laughs> oh, <what> gross. <laughs> Fuck that guy. I couldn't remember because there's also that bit in The Simpsons where he has like a gorilla vest um, and people have made fun of Manafort for that. I'm like, was it gorilla or was it something else? It was ostrich. <laughs> anyway, um, most most leather is not from ostrich. It's from cows, alternately from goats, pigs, and sheep. Those are Those are the animals, but mostly it's from cows. And most cow leather comes from either either it's the hides of cows that have been killed for meat already, or it's the hides of cows that have been killed because they're no longer useful in dairy production. Either way, like they're getting killed not necessarily because of leather production, but leather does account for about 10% of an animal's total value. So 
It's not a negligible thing either. Leather does contribute to making animal farming more profitable, but it is a byproduct. So the other thing to keep in mind is that most leather is produced in countries with animal welfare laws that are even weaker than the like really bad animal welfare laws we already have in Canada, the US and the EU. So there is no welfare standard applied to leather um, or to the like the way the animals are living before that. Uh, after an animal is skinned, leather production is made up of three different steps. So there's preparation, there's tanning, and then there's crusting. So depending on how the leather is going to be used after those three steps, um, there may also be like a coating that's applied to it. It's actually like a fairly involved uh, process. And that matters environmentally uh, because the actual leather tanning process is part of the, like, the reason that leather is shitty for the environment. So leather is an environmental problem because it's linked to animal agriculture, and so it's a huge source of greenhouse gas emissions and water pollution and deforestation. That's all true. But leather production is also has a huge environmental impact because of the heavy use of polluting chemicals in the tanning process specifically. Had you ever heard of tanning before? Do you know what tanning is? I've heard of it. I think I know what it is. Is it like... Is it? Does it have something to do with coloring it or with stripping the hair off of it? Yeah, so tanning is basically like treating the leather so that it doesn't um, go bad, you know, oh. so that it lasts a long time. Was I with you and we were in Newfoundland and we went to that like old Viking village and they had, was it seal skin hanging mm, out? Yes. And they were, <laughs> they were like treating it in the old fashioned way. Yeah, I missed that because I had to go pee, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. And then you asked me, you were like, oh, can you describe to me everything that you just learned? And I was like, nope, I didn't I didn't retain any of it. It was very interesting, though. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I couldn't find out specifically what, like, historically tanning was, but... I should know. I learned in that village, but I, I don't... I, it's out of my head now. I know part of the historical leather-making process was, like, leaving it out in the sun. I just don't know if that's what tanning comes from. But today, tanning is treating the leather so it doesn't decompose, um, and it's done today by like applying various chemicals to it. And there are a bunch of different methods that all seemed very complicated, so I didn't look into it all that much. Um, but most of, in most of the cases, um, tanning processes use polluting, and even in some cases, toxic or carcinogenic chemicals. And then those get released into the air, into the ground, and into the water supply. So... It's environmentally bad for that reason. Um, for the same reason, working conditions on tanneries are also really bad. It's really, really not a safe place to work in a, a tannery because there's all these chemicals being applied in the process um, and because in a lot of cases, tanning is done in places where there aren't very strong labor laws. Um, in a lot of cases, people are exposed to those chemicals or other dangerous conditions um, as part of their job on the tanneries. So it's really shitty from that perspective and also happens to have like um, a lot of other problems, including the use of child labor. So it's not just environmentally bad. Labor production also has problems in terms of workers' rights. Having said that, um, when you're sort of discussing leather versus synthetics, most of the time we're talking about um, environment. And so I don't know. I, I wanted to kind of know because... Leather, like we can intuitively understand why it's bad for the environment. You know, it's made from cows. There's a bunch of toxic chemicals that get put in, you know. On the other hand, synthetic leather, 
is made from plastics. So conceivably also not great for the environment. Um, having said that, there was actually a side-by-side -side comparison that was done by, um, the report is the 2017 Pulse of the Fashion Industry Report. It was, um, it was prepared by a consulting group of some kind, um, but it's not like an industry association study, which is why I think I'd give it a little bit more credence. Um, and the result in this case was super clear. Cow leather was the most environmentally harmful material that they included in their ranking, um, and synthetic leather only ranked sixth. So cow leather, much, much worse for the environment. My question then I, uh, would be, because my problem with synthetic leather, leather bags, which I've had before, is that they fall apart like within a year or two, whereas a leather bag might last for 10 years or more. So with that in mind, you're actually using more of the synthetic bags because you're replacing it every year or two. Is, does, do they factor that in? No, they did not factor that into the study. So you're, you're right. It does, to a certain degree, depend on how often you're using it. Having said that, cow leather, like, it is so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Like, on every single metric, it was much, much worse than synthetic leathers on water scarcity, on greenhouse gas emissions, on eutrophication, on resource depletion. Like, So even if you're using was not great. five bags for every one leather bag, it still probably would maybe balance out. Um, if you're genuinely doing like a five to one, it might make sense to get a leather bag. But like, you could also just get a non-synthetic leather <laughs> And also, like, I, I don't genuinely know how long this was another thing I wasn't able to find because a lot of in a lot of these cases, these questions haven't really empirically been explored that much. So, like, if I'm getting the average winter boot that uses a nylon upper um, versus a leather upper, like which one's going to last longer? I don't know. Like, I don't really think anybody studied that. Right. Also should note nylon did much better than cow leather on the environmental ranking as well. So I don't know. <sighs> I, I guess the like general guideline I might suggest is if the leather item that you're buying, if you're planning to use it for quite a long time, like we're talking decades, and if you're planning to take really good care of it, and if you don't really care about animal welfare considerations, then maybe leather might be a good choice. But if you're not sure that you're willing to like own this thing for 20 years, then leather's not a good choice. And also, like, you should try to get secondhand if you can. <sighs> the other the other complicating factor, though, is that leather does biodegrade. Um, synthetic leather won't. Although I don't know how the chemical treatment affects the like environmental impact of leather biodegrading. Yeah, can you just throw it in the compost? Probably not. <laughs> no, almost certainly not, especially if they're covered in like waterproof coatings. I doubt it. So I don't know. I would just say in balance, like um, avoid leather as much as you can. It's really bad for the environment. And also like the good news is that um, there's a lot of progress being made on vegan leathers. So like right now, most of the vegan leathers that you'll use are um, like plastic based. And so that's not great. But in the future, um, there are a lot of good plastic alternative leathers that are being developed. And, and they do, for now, still use plastic to bind the fibers. So, like, you can have a mushroom leather. It's still going to have some plastic in it, but, like, the plastic content is going to be a lot lower. Oh, yeah, I forgot about mushroom leather. I read about that once years ago and just forgot about it. 
<laughs> There's another one that's pineapple based, which I think is cool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Mushroom leather. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I also wanted to look briefly into sheepskin because it is used in Ugg boots quite famously and also um, because sheepskin is like a, used as a type of insulation. Um, and I would say generally the like leather applications apply, you know, like it's you're still dealing with an animal byproduct that's linked to animal farming and it's still because it's like um animal farming based it's not going to be very environmentally efficient because you have to cultivate this animal kill it and like make the thing uh having said that sheepskin i would say is slightly less bad than leather because sheep farmers um half of the sheepskin that's produced is produced in australia and in general sheep there are not cultivated in factory farms so they mostly get to like live a sheepy life it's not perfect they still have like tail docking and stuff like that but it's not the horror show that um, a lot of like cattle farming is, you know, and that was where I was at with that sheepskin, probably still bad, but less bad than other kinds of leather. I think that's all I had. I don't know. <laughs> where are you at with winter clothing? <laughs> where I'm at is if, if Vessie or Kate Spade want to sponsor this uh, podcast, we're, we're open <laughs> to that. No. Oh no. Kate Spade does not do great on some certain ethics metrics though. <laughs> No, I don't think so. Anyways, <laughs> uh, I was interested when you said that you were going to do winter gear because I wasn't sure that it would be possible to find ethical options. And going out of this episode, I'm feeling like that's kind of the case. Does Is burlap a good option? Maybe we should all start wearing burlap shoes. Would that do well in the snow? I don't know. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I really didn't expect this episode to just be like, it's a debate. Animals are plastic. That's the entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, you're right, though, because the thing about winter gear is that it, can, it of all of the things we buy, it is easiest to buy winter gear that will last for a really long time. It's hard for me to buy a t-shirt that's going to last for 30 years, but it's really easy to buy a jacket that will. So if you're going to turn around and spend, you know, a couple hundred bucks or more on a jacket, then it's nice to be able to know, like, yeah, okay, it's never going to be perfect. But I should buy it with the intention of owning it for 30 years, which is something that a lot of people don't like. They're like, oh, this looks nice. I'll just get it for the season. And then if it lasts three or four years, great. But if you're buying with intention from a company that's doing their best and you wear it for the full lifespan of the jacket, if you buy it this year in 30 years, we might have a way to recycle plastic more properly. Who knows, you know? Yeah, I'm, hopefully we will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, we're going to fucking have to. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's a really good way to approach it. Um, winter gear, more than any other kind of garment I can imagine, it really is something you can think about as an investment. Ideally, don't buy your winter jacket in January when we'll be releasing this episode. <laughs> because if you do, you're probably need-based shopping. Or maybe you're trying to hit those sales, which could be a good approach. Just do some research on ethics first. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a good way to to do it. It's just shop mindfully, especially with winter gear. That's cool. Yeah, uh, that checks out. And then whether you're buying plastic or animal, you know, the life, the as long as the lifespan you get out of it, it'll mitigate whatever, ha you know, harm is done. Because, you know, we're not going to ask our listeners to walk around Ottawa in minus 25 degree weather <laughs> with a cotton jacket on, you know? <laughs> you just made me think of like those 
There's always like that one guy that wears shorts all year round in Canada and you're like, why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter where you are in Canada. He could maybe do a, ca- a cotton jacket. Yeah. So if, if, if Earl is listening, <laughs> <laughs> you're the one exception, my friend. <laughs> you do you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that's a really good point with the, like, the time horizon because I think we talked about this in the fast fashion series. Um, there are actually huge technological strides that are being made in recycling like polyester and other kinds of plastic fabrics. So 30 years from now, like, you know, your synthetic down coat might be totally recyclable. And probably like a fair amount of it is today. You know, it's going to be downcycled, but that's a thing we didn't talk about that we should have. <laughs> what do you do after your coat's done its life cycle? Yeah, or take it to a consignment store if it's not totally worn down, you know? Oh, give it to a shelter. Actually, I mean, if you have a good quality winter coat that, like, if you're getting rid of it because it doesn't fit or something, like, you could probably sell it. Or, yeah, give it to a shelter. There's always needs for winter coats, um, homeless shelters. Next to socks, I think it's, like, the most demanded item, so. Yeah, and pajamas, I think, so. If you don't need the money, and instead of selling your jacket, yeah, <laughs> donate it to a shelter for sure. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks for this impromptu episode, Kristen. You gave me like four days notice. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, a lot of really good stuff coming out for our listeners. So, you know, we're not, it's been, it's been over a year now. We haven't run out of steamer ideas. So, you know, hit us up if you have any questions or if you have your own opinion about <laughs> anything that we talked about in this episode. Uh, or if you have ideas for episodes, I mean, we don't need them, but it's always good to hear what other people are interested in listening to instead of just what we want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I, it can be exciting to hear like listeners' ideas. So, you know, tell us. <laughs> Is this going to be the first episode in 2021? Yes. Oh, happy new year. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. <laughs>